You are listening to the weekend message of Crossroads Church North Campus. Crossroads exists to make much of Jesus, and we do this by following in the way of Jesus and making disciples who love God and love others. To find out more about Crossroads, go to crossroadslive.com. Thanks for listening. Grace and peace. This morning, um, we're continuing in the Gospel of Luke. And so we're going to read from chapter 5. Um, I'm going to go ahead and call up our reader, uh, Andrew, to read for us today. And I'm here, so I'll go ahead and do it. If you want to stand with us, stand with me. Chapter 5 of Luke, we're going to begin in verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 12, we're reading down to verse 16 today. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more than the report about him, went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. You may be seated. I know, you're, you're laughing at me. Sometimes, in the midst of doing announcements, I forget something fairly significant. And we just read the passage, and I just missed over a whole thing that I need to invite Aaron to come on up. He's going to share with us about our India trip. Um, that happened. That's so funny. I got so locked in. Um, and this was so good for service. So I don't know why, why I forgot you. I was giving your kids a hard time. That's probably why I forgot you. That's okay. Yeah. But uh, we, maybe I forgot to sign them up. <laughs> so you were giving me a hard time. It's the Lord's just working it all out in go. front of us. If you ever wonder uh, how well we rehearse these things, not well. Um, so so here, here we are, as real as we can be. And hence, Andrew's uh, announcement at the beginning, thanking all the people who support behind the scenes, because that was another... This, this was one of those moments. This, this moment happened, um, and the video, the, the, the video and the pictures that you see uh, that are going here uh, were really an effort to try to encapsulate a trip that took us around the world, um, flipped our body clocks on their head, about 13 and a half hours difference, took a team of 16 uh, that were from here at Crossroads and other communities uh, in Northern California, did a medical mission for a week and a half, saw about 5,000 patients or thereabouts um, in that period of time, and, um, and then return and then try to make sense of, of it all. So uh, instead of trying to encapsulate all of that and give you a, 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 an hour-long, uh, you know, kind of communication about here's what we did. I figured some pictures which are running in the background would capture that a, a bit best. So feel free to get lost in those and forget anything that I'm saying. Um, but uh, just, just wanted to give you all an opportunity to uh, you know, see this and, uh, and hear a little bit about the report of what God uh, did through the team and through all of you uh, in, the, in the work that, that was done here in Chilakalu, India like I said, on the other side, literally, of the world. Um, that team that went with us, uh, we left on the 31st of January. And what was really interesting was God's, uh, I think, um, kind of mission or the things that were, were, he was putting on our hearts uh, as a team. And uh, I had sent out about a week before we left 
a little communication to the team that was focused on uh, the beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. Um, and in thinking about that, the, the posture that we often have when we don't focus on the fact that we live in a world of abundance, God's abundance, not the world's abundance that's around us, but God's abundance, is we tend to get anxious and we grip with a closed hand um, onto the things that we can to control what's happening within the world. Instead of having an open-handed posture of receiving from God God's abundance and recognizing that that is the kingdom of heaven that we get to experience. And never, I, I didn't know when I sent this out that just about 14 hours after I sent this out to the team, we, I would be wrestling with that because 3,000 frames that were supposed to be in Roseville at that time or within a couple of days were actually just ground shipped from UPS, uh, via UPS from New York. They arrived three hours before the team took off from Roseville location uh, for us to go to um, the airport. And what was really even more astounding about that gift of God's abundance in the middle of it was that we couldn't take everything that was sent. We didn't have enough bags or supplies to take that. And I'm reminded of the, the extra that God did in feeding the 5,000. So uh, it was really this remarkable experience there. And in India, we experienced more and more of that. None of the team got sick. We had a team of 16 individuals, 17 if you include the mascot, which is Joel, my seven-year-old. Um, but, but 16 of us came uh, on this trip, and we went, and uh, everybody was willing to grab an oar and, and row in the same direction. But it can be really interesting because you can lose. We lose two people on a team like that. There's no way that we're going to serve or serve as well or maybe what we thought. God sustained our health the entire trip. Um, those types of things happen. We experienced the miracle of power in a small battery um, that my son was, had the chance to operate and, and actually see God keep that thing powered up hmm. even without a, a way to physically plug it in because the plug had been damaged and the, the, the actual unit that would sustain that battery was popped off the, off the motherboard. So you couldn't get that thing to operate and yet it worked. Um, so there were these things that we experienced through that, but that doesn't happen without all of you. And you just saw a picture behind me of the team that was there. And this is the team from the U.S., but the team that was there of Indians, the 150 or so people that came out as an army of volunteers that gave up a week to a week and a half of their time. These were individuals who took time off work and everything else. Um, and within that, you're going to get lost in the dizzying frogger that's playing behind me right now. <laughs> Uh, it, but, but these individuals came out and did that, and the church that was there, <laughs> that was praying, you see why prayer is necessary, um, that was praying for God's grace and abundance to come into the villages in and around Chillicaloo. And we got to see that. They spent three months praying this trip in, and that teamed with all of you who were praying for us while we were there. So... Um, just wanted to give you a quick update on yeah. those things. And No, oh, thanks so much. And I, I always laugh because at last service too, we got right to here and also the picture of the monkey and everyone was like very distracted. Um, metaphor for life of how it feels to navigate um, things in India. Um, but one of the things that I, I was so encouraged by hearing from this team coming back um, is you've been going for 20 years now. Uh, Pastor Ed's been going for, for many more years than that. Um, but the, the seeds that have been planted over time 
um, and even seeing the pictures of what you guys were doing coupled with the, the on-the-ground people from New Hope, what they're capable of because they've been trained, they've been released, um, the foundations that you have set afforded even during COVID for them to become the hub where things were dis distributed and, and so many different things like that, that this trip seemed fruitful in so many different ways um, from the long-term commitment, but also seeing in really ways a true partnership um, with New Hope and what you guys brought. Well, and, and to that end, Andrew, I just shared too, you, you saw a picture of one of the facilities that we were in, which was the school. Um, little did we know that these medical teams over the years that we were bringing would also be the seeding mechanism for fund, found, building the foundation and building that, that, that set of buildings out. Now, that school is completely self-sustainable. Uh, Crossroads as a community doesn't support the teachers or any of the things that are happening educationally there. But it's attracting these kids from the villages and they're affecting the next generation in the villages because of the education that they're able to provide. That didn't happen because somebody had a vision and said, hey, we want to do a school. We're going to send a team out from Grass Valley, Auburn, and go you know, plant this school. That happened because we started just going and saying yes as individuals to do this medical camp. Mm -hmm. And then God took people and put it on their heart and said, I want, to, I want to support that. I want to support that. The growth that happened through COVID and sustaining the community and the way in which they were able to put out these packs. And those things were pretty amazing. And, and I think just a testimony to God's grace over many, many years and decades. Yeah. And, and I think it just helps for people to have kind of the, the number in mind because it, it always seems like, really? But patient-wise, the load that you guys saw this go around, how many patients? Just over 5,000. Just over 5,000. Yeah, okay. about 1,100 medical treatments. Yeah, go ahead. Um, about 27 eye uh, treatments and a partnership with the local dental hospital that saw another 1,500 or so. Yeah. See, and that, that's amazing because just the, again, the, the seeds of that meeting tangible needs, but then the, the emphasis behind it of who you guys are, who you're representing, um, what God's going to do with that, uh, just, just astounding to me. Um, I asked you, that now you're better prepared, because uh, I, I... Can I change I, my answer? I surprised him last time. Um, but how can we pray for the team that's come back, right? Because a, a trip like this, it, you, you always kind of come back more affected in many ways than, than you expect. How can we pray for the team that's come back? How can we continue to pray for new hope and, and kind of the continuing work there? Yeah, and so, so a continued theme for me that was there when we were present on the ground and that continues to be as we're back here is a number of the people who uh, I've had the opportunity to partner with here over the years uh, are, have been with me on seven, eight, ten trips uh, as we've gone into country. And um, I really want to honor my elders. And I got called out by Darlene Lida, who said I called her old in first service. I didn't wise. say old. I you didn't say calling out wisdom. Wise, right? Okay. Wisdom. Good. Um, I, I really want to honor those who have come and said yes, that aren't, they're not limping to the finish line. Mm -hmm. They're running. There is a full tank, and they are going, God, I'm, I'm out. Jay Geisen and Chris Duckett, Dave and Darlene Lida, and many of you who have come in the community. It's, it's a remarkable thing to me. And, and first, my prayer is for them, that God would take some of what he has put in them mm -hmm. and that that would be seeded into the rest of this community well. I would seek those individuals out. There's something God's put in their heart and they have wisdom to offer you and encouragement to offer you in terms of what is it that God's calling you to. It might be something like this in India. It may be something that's mm -hmm. somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But my prayer is for that and that God would raise up and continue to raise up those who are maybe in that middle generation 
um, like I am, where my kids are pulling on one end and my parents are pulling on the other end mm -hmm. um, and going, well, I don't really have that time, but maybe there is that space or that time or that way to step into yeah. something that God yeah. is asking for you. And then for New Hope, the same thing. Who is the generation that is coming next? And what does it look like to continue to partner and grow these things? And God may have a different look for what's uh -huh. in New Hope and in India and what's the Crossroads community for the years to come. Um, but at least to be open-handed and say, okay, God, your abundance, what, what are you asking me to step into? And so that's my encouragement and my, my prayer. Awesome. Well, I just want to take a moment and just, just pray right now. Uh, thank God for what he's doing and what he continues to do. So, uh, Father, we... Um, we are grateful for the ways in which you move, uh, the ways in which you remind us that uh, your church is not uh, in any one central location, but it's wherever your people are, that we are the church. Um, and so as we partner with what's happening in India, um, God, I pray that the fruit of that would continue to grow. Um, Lord, that those uh, there would continue to step into uh, leading in new ways as you are leading. Uh, Father, that they would be able to meet the, the needs surrounding them, that all these people that have come and experienced help and health in different uh, ways, whether that's through their eyes or just general uh, help, God, would you, uh, would you point them to the hope that's found in you? And Lord, would you raise up new leaders in uh, India as well to come along what's already doing uh, such great things there. Uh, for those who are on this trip, God, I pray that you would just bless them as they uh, recover and restore them. But with the, the ways in which they saw you move, would those just become testimonies uh, that they don't keep to themselves, but that they share of your goodness, of the ways in which you provided, you showed up. Um, and God, would you stir in them to share those stories because it might just be the encouragement that someone needs to step into something like this for themselves. Um, Father, for those listening, um, both in here and online, God, I pray that you would stir in us uh, where you want us to walk out in faith. Um, and God, I do pray for, for the generations um, that we would partner well together, that we would honor another, uh, one another well, um, working with one another well. Um, but Lord, seeing the strengths of each other well too. Um, and God, I, I thank you for the, the gift that you've given us that when we serve you, as long as there is breath in our lungs, we have work to do. Uh, and so God, would we uh, steward that well and, and keep our faces towards you. I thank you again for this team uh, that all said yes. I thank you for the, the many people represented within those 16. Uh, I pray that you would just again meet them in a powerful way. Um, but God, would you continue your work uh, according to what you would have be done. Uh, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man. fun to hear back and um, just kind of by way of reminder, we heard from K2 um, who was going to Nepal. He's, he's still over there and I, he sent me a couple of pictures and, and was sharing with me just a little bit of what he's, he's experiencing there. So please continue to pray for him. We'll get to hear from him when he gets back in town as well. Um, but I just, I love what God's up to across the globe and the different ways that we get to see that. So, um, well, I think this is next. So... <laughs> Man, uh, we're going to jump back into Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 12. Uh, and where we step in, uh, Jesus is encountering uh, someone who has been deemed unclean. 
And this word unclean is a word that would cause people in Jesus' day to alter their course quickly. And it, it still causes us to alter our course quickly. See, the unclean were to be avoided. Uh, they weren't to be associated with because if, if you spent time with them, then you would be seen as unclean. I think this is why the story of Father Damien is so uh, profound. Father Damien was sent and called to serve the people of Hawaii, right? One of those callings that we all pray for every day of our lives, that the Lord would send us to a tropical space to serve him on the beaches. But Father Damien, he served on the big island, uh, the big island of Hawaii, and he would kind of traverse all over, uh, meeting with people, serving people, just loving on people well. And after he had done that for about eight years, uh, he had heard that there was need for a priest to come and serve a community of 700 people. Now, these 700 people were isolated. They were living separate from anybody else on the island of Molokai. And eventually, God would turn Father Damien's heart and his attention towards this small island. And so eventually, he found himself on a small boat making his way there to serve this community. Now, this community had all been sent to the island because they had one thing in common. They'd been sent there to die. And the reason that they were cast out is because each of them had leprosy. Leprosy, which we now call Hansen's disease, was something that they, they just didn't want to have any part of or, or bring anyone around. And so the best thing to do is they just separated them out on this island. And Father Damien, compelled by the heart of Jesus, found himself running to a place that no one else would go. Now, so often when we think of leprosy, we can associate it with maybe images we've had as we've read stories of the Bible. We think of open wounds and people bandaged up with open sores. But the cause of leprosy, the cause of Hansen's disease, is not some destructive, disfiguring infection, some skin disease. Rather, this disease damages the nerves. It creates a numbness in your extremities, in your hands, in your, your feet, as well as in your eyes, your, your nose, and your, your ears. And because you cannot feel, you don't realize when you cut yourself or when you injure yourself or when your finger catches on something and bends in a way it shouldn't go. And so if you cut yourself and you don't realize it, infection can set in and you don't even feel the pain of the infection and so it just grows. If you grab hold of a hot pan, you don't realize that you're actually scalding your hands because there's no feeling. Or if you get into a bath that's been drawn too hot, you can burn yourself and not realize it. One doctor who worked in a third world country said that any patient he had that had leprosy, he would prescribe to them a cat. And the reason was because when he would send someone home, if they had bandaged up injuries, if vermin were to get in there and be picking at it, they wouldn't know because they couldn't feel it. This, this is leprosy. This is this disease that erodes. See, in Jesus' day, the view of leprosy was was really not all that different. Because uh, when you lose your feeling, you lose more than that. You begin to lose your humanity. Why? Because people treat you as an outcast, as a social pariah. 
And so we see in the first century, uh, not only were you seen as an outcast, as a social pariah, but you were also labeled with a devastating term, unclean. There were laws in the Torah and, and God's instructions of how you were to deal with people who had leprosy, how you were to avoid them, how you were to steer clear, how they were to live set apart from everyone so they wouldn't encounter those who were clean. But in the life of Jesus, in the actions of Jesus, we'd never see avoidance. Rather, we see healing. When Jesus encountered the unclean, he did not alter course, he altered lives, including how we are to view the unclean, the outcast, the untouchable. Jesus' humanity reminds us of the image that we bear, that we all bear the image of God. And Jesus' experience of humanity, it validates our own human experience. And what we see is that when the unclean encounters Jesus, it does not change Jesus. Rather, Jesus changes the unclean. And this this is good news for all of us in this room. So as we look to chapter 5, verse 12, we pick up and it says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. We're not given uh, the exact city this took place in. We know that Jesus was still traveling about the region of Galilee, but this man who is supposed to be living on the outskirts, not encountering anyone, comes and approaches Jesus. He is full of leprosy. And what does he do? He falls on his face before Jesus. And he begs him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now last week we took some time to pause at the calling of Peter to notice Peter's posture. That Peter was, was humble now, he was humble before God, but he was also a man with open hands and open plans before God. And so here, what's the posture of this man with leprosy coming before Jesus? What do we see in this moment? Well, we see that he acknowledges Jesus. He humbles himself. And how does he do this? By literally falling before Jesus. And he also proclaims his faith in Jesus. Because think of what he's saying here. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He's declaring in this moment, if you say I'm healed, I will be healed. I know you are capable of that. But what we also recognize in this man, as he's begging, as he's groveling at the feet of Jesus, is that there's a desperation to him. And this de desperation, it matches his situation and his condition. Because remember again, to be a leper meant a life of isolation. In Leviticus 13, verses 45 through 46, we read that the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let their hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, if you are one with leprosy and you're reading through this prescription in the law, that everywhere you go, you have to identify yourself by one word, unclean, unclean, 
unclean wherever you go. That is the one word that encapsulates who you are as you're living a life totally in the outskirts of normal society. Always feeling unworthy. Always feeling unholy. See, to be a leper meant living outside the camp. It meant not being touched It meant not being able to worship at the temple because you were always unclean. You couldn't go and worship God because you were unclean. You couldn't go to the temple. It meant announcing your presence wherever you walked. And the reason for this was that if somebody bumped into you, if somebody touched you, if you touched somebody, now that person would be deemed unclean. Your very presence Your very presence put everyone around you at risk. And by the days of Jesus, the Pharisees had taken some of these precautions even further. So much so that if a a person who is leprous was walking by the home of somebody and merely stuck their head through the window, that entire home was now seen as unclean and would have to be purified through the ritual cleansing. It was also deemed inappropriate to even greet somebody who had leprosy. So really, uh, over time, uh, one author describes it that those who had leprosy were just really seen as the walking dead, uh, just to be avoided at all costs. And so in this moment, we see this man alone, ostracized, desperate. Uh, He comes and he begs Jesus, Lord, if you will you can make me clean. Now, I just, I know it's dangerous to take us back to COVID times, but let's just go back there for a second. What did we learn in that time about isolation, being quarantined, being alone? That we loved it, right? Some of you are like, a little, a little. I, I was good with avoiding people. No, some of you had uh, maybe five, ten days, whatever was prescribed at the time, where like your family was living in one section of the house and you were just like cordoned in your room. Right? We had this, this experience where even when we first kind of came back together, no one really knew, like, should we shake hands? Do we do the elbow thing? Or do we just like, hey. And it's, it, it kind of stunted our interactions. Again, just imagine that that's your life. Where everywhere you go, people are backing away from you. Where everywhere you go, people are jumping to the other side of the street as fast as they can. Where everywhere you go, you're never going to get the handshake. You're always going to be avoided. Again, this is the desperation of this man coming before Jesus. He is taking a risk. He should not be where he is, and yet he is so tired of the life he's experiencing. And he comes and he begs Jesus, Lord, If you will, you can make me clean. Verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. One sentence uh, comes so fast, but the beauty of this moment, the impact, the scandal is so hard for us to imagine. Again, this man is laying face down before Jesus. He's begging him for healing. But he's still maintaining some level of distance because he he knows he can't approach, he can't touch him. And so he's just out of reach of Jesus. 
A distance that he's become so accustomed to in all interactions in his life. And as he's begging Jesus, as he's bowing before Jesus in this moment, suddenly he feels uh, the unfamiliar. Someone's touching him. And what does it say? It says that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus leans out his hand, touches the man, says, I will be clean. Now, this isn't just any ordinary touch. This is Jesus, the Messiah. This is Jesus, the Redeemer, the Restorer, the Healer. And he stretches out his hands, extending himself. And what's so profound for me in this moment that we can just jump past because it just feels like a feel-good story, but what Jesus is doing here is that there is a gap between clean and unclean. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more. Clean is, is life. Unclean is death. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's overcoming the gap between clean and unclean. It is met by Jesus and it is overcome by Jesus. In this moment where the whole world would recoil, Jesus leans in. And for some of you, this is what you need to hear this morning. Jesus does not recoil. He does not draw back from the unclean. He leans in and he restores. He is willing. He is willing. But for some of you, you're unsure just how willing he is. Do you see what this man does before Jesus? It's such an honest moment. He is so tired of living the way that he's living that he doesn't care. And he just risks it all in this moment. He overcomes his, his pride, his sense of duty. He's just like, I need you. That's what I need, Jesus. I need you. And for some of you, this is what you need to hear, that when you come to Jesus with all your stuff, because we've all got stuff, you're not carrying leprosy right now. But we're all carrying the detriment of sin in our lives. We all have that. We have words we've spoken, actions we've taken, things that we've done that we wish we could get back that still haunt us and play out in our minds. We all have that. And when we hear of a perfect, loving creator who's come to love us and rescue us, we're like, yeah, but he doesn't fully know who I am. But yes, he does. And he's willing. He leans in. He overcomes the gap of clean and unclean. This is what we see Jesus doing. And you need to hear that. That he hasn't just come for this leprous man, but he's come for you and all the things that you carry. He's come for you. And he's willing. But the question is, are we willing to humble ourselves before him? Are we willing to admit that nothing else and no one else, just Jesus and Jesus alone can make us clean? Because too many of us have spent our lives pretending like, no, 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 I've got it. I, I'll figure this out. Don't worry about it. I've got it. I've got it. And we don't have it. You don't have it. You won't have it. You need Jesus. And he's willing. He's willing. And so some of you need to hear this. Now, for others of you sitting in this room, this is what you need to see. This is what you need to see, that Jesus does not recoil. 
that Jesus does not draw back from the unclean. He leans in, he restores, he's willing. And the question for you is, are you willing to engage? Are you willing to reach out to others as Jesus has reached out to you? Or have you deemed some people so unclean they're not worth your time? Do you see what Jesus is doing here? All the norms he's just breaking through. Because the kingdom of God breaks through everything. It can't be stopped. It goes places where people don't want it to because its goodness cannot be contained and it was never meant to be contained. Like a mustard seed, it grows into an enormous plant that the birds can feel the shade of. You mix it into a little bit of yeast, it overcomes the whole thing. That's the goodness of this kingdom that Jesus has come to bring. And what we see in this moment is that Jesus' words are not empty, but they are full of promise and power. And so Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Immediately. The man's healed. The leprosy's gone. His pain, his shame, his status in an instant is changed. He's gone from unclean to clean at the touch of Jesus. But how does Jesus ask this man now to steward this miracle? He's experienced complete life transformation in a moment. And what does he say to him? Verse 14, and he charged him to tell no one. Don't tell anyone. This seems strange, right? If you have good news happen to you, how many of you sit on that for a long time? No, you're like calling someone immediately. I need to tell somebody. This is amazing. And Jesus is like, "Don't, don't tell anyone. But as we'll see, there's more here than meets the eye. Because what does Jesus charge the man saying? He says, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest. And make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Don't tell anyone. You, you go to the priest, though. Let them see. Let them see that you were unclean, and now you have been made clean. Continue to follow the Torah, the law, the instructions that God has given you and the way in which you should go. And in doing so, by following these laws, this man would be restored, uh, not just physically, but into his community once again. But along the way, he's going to have ample opportunity to share just how this all came about. And so Jesus sends him to the priest. And why is he doing this? Again, it comes back to this distinction that's so important for us to recognize. The distinction between unclean and clean. Unclean equals death. Clean equals life. Unclean equals impure, unholy. Clean equals pure and holy. And the holy of holies is God himself whose presence we cannot even pretend to stand in. I love how the Bible Project describes this in one way. They say the holiness of God, if we were to think of it as the sun, the closer you get, the more dangerous it is. But we feel the radiance of its beauty. This is the truth with God. He is so holy, so other. And we all have gone astray. We all bear the marks of sin in our life. And we are unholy. 
And this man has experienced being divided out in his community as unclean, unworthy. But now he is to go and perform these ritual sacrifices so that he can be brought back in and seen as clean. And so what does this entail? If you, if you want to know the full details of this, uh, go to Leviticus 14 and you can read all about this. I'm going to give you a little summary of what this would entail. And we're going to use this man as an example. So Jesus sends this man to a priest. What would happen next? This man would go outside the camp where he would be met by a priest outside the camp because again, he hasn't been deemed clean by anybody else and he's still seen as a danger to all those around him. And should it be determined by the priest, he looks the man over and says, yeah, something miraculous has happened. There there is no sign of leprosy within you. There has been a significant change. If this were the case, then there would be two live, clean birds that would be brought out. Cedar wood, a scarlet yarn, and hyssop would be brought together. Now, the birds. Why two birds? Well, we're going to see that these two birds would be brought together as representations of life and death. Clean and unclean. The cedar wood. Cedar wood is known as being resistant to decay because of its natural oils. Just like this man who's now been made clean. And when he's proclaimed clean, would live a life uh, in pursuit of being resistant to the decay of death. The scarlet yarn representing the blood that's woven throughout. But then would be used to wrap up the hyssop. Hyssop was often seen as a, as a cleansing uh, property and was used by the Hebrew people to, to get a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood, and paint over the doorways or in the Passover. So one of these two birds would be chosen to represent death, uncleanliness, and it would be killed over a container of water, but not just any water, living water, fresh water, a water from a stream that was still moving. Stale, stagnant water was considered unclean. So you needed clean water for this bird to be killed over. Now listen, I know we're about the time of year where if you're going like reading through the Bible straight, you're going to get close to Leviticus where a lot of good Bible reading plans go to die. There's a reason for that. A lot of blood, a lot of gore, a lot of like, this is weird. Even as I'm going to describe this to you as they're killing a bird, letting its blood drip, you're like, what did I walk into? And there's a beauty to this. There's a beauty to this, that this blood that was demanded for the death, that we all have blood on our hands from our sin. And we're going to see that Jesus covers all of that for us. But in this moment, this man, to be restored to community, the the bird representing death would would be crushed, would be killed, and that blood would drip into this vessel. Then they would take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet yarn, and they would take the live bird, and they would dip that in the blood. Once they dip that in the blood, that blood would then be sprinkled on this man seven times. You get kind of the grossness of this moment, right? Seven times he's just splattered with blood. After he was splattered and sprinkled with blood seven times, the man would be declared clean by the priest. The living bird that was dipped in the blood would be taken and would be set free, returning to its nest. This living representation would be now that the man was declared clean, he could now return to his home and to his community. The man would then shave his hair, his eyebrows, his beard. He would wash himself once again in clean, living water, fresh water. 
And then he'd be allowed to return to his people, but there would still be a stipulation. For seven days, he couldn't live inside a home, and he couldn't live inside his tent. He'd have to stay still marked outside. And after the end of those seventh days, seven days, he would then once again shave his head, shave his eyebrows, shave his beard. The representation here is that he's cleaning himself. He would wash himself once again as though new life was, was coming into the world as he stepped forward again and being declared clean. Now we want to celebrate in this moment. We want to say, yes, but he's not done. After going through all this, there's still more. There would be an offering of three lambs, a guilt offering, a sin offering, and a burnt offering. As Kent Hughes says and points out, the guilt offering was not an atoning sacrifice for this man, but a restitution for the offerings and the sacrifices he was unable to make while a leper. You realize he couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't worship. Uh, All good Hebrew men were required to come three times a year and worship at the temple. He was unable to do that because to go to the temple, he, he wasn't allowed. He was unclean. And so now he's making restitution with this guilt offering. The guilt offering. They would take the blood. I know, again, more blood. Super fun. They'd take the blood and they'd put it on his earlobe, his right earlobe. They'd take more of the blood, they'd put it on his right thumb. They'd take more of the blood, they'd put it on his right toe. And as R.K. Harrison states, this procedure that was done, the the earlobe, the thumb, the toe, it's symbolic and also shows us what the Aaronic priesthood would go through. They had to do the same kind of thing. But the symbolism was this, that the man cleansed should now hear from God and hear his voice. That the man cleansed now with the blood on his thumb that he would work righteousness with his hands. And that the man cleansed now with blood on his toe would walk in the ways of God. So after the guilt offering, we still have two more offerings. There was the sin offering. And this was made for the atonement of the man's sin because uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And so there is death required for our sin. And so a sin offering would be offered on behalf of this man. And then there was a burnt offering. And this burnt offering was a joyous expression of the man's gratitude. Again, think about what he's experiencing in this moment. In isolation, all alone, deemed unclean, unable to worship, unable to engage, unable to be touched, all of these things. Once he was dead, now he is alive. Once he was unclean, now he has been made clean. And throughout this process, his family, his friends, his community would be celebrating because one who was seen as lost, as dead to them, has now been been brought back into the fold, made alive again. And when they would ask, how did this come to be? He would have to slip into saying, well, I met Jesus. And once I met Jesus, I was unclean and now I am clean Because this is who Jesus is. When the unclean encounters Jesus, it does not change Jesus. Rather, Jesus changes the unclean. Because Jesus changes everything. This is the truth on which we stand, on which we proclaim. Jesus changes everything. And so this man was restored, was made whole, and he's returned to his community. This is an incredible picture of Jesus bringing about restoration, showing us what the kingdom of God looks like, Uh, the, the unclean now being made clean through Jesus. 
Verse 15. But now even more the report about him uh, went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and, and to be healed of their infirmities. So even though Jesus had tried to keep this quiet, it was too late. Word was spreading about him everywhere. And there was no keeping quiet the incredible things he was doing. Because again, the goodness of the kingdom cannot be bottled up. It cannot be maintained as a secret for long. It is too good. It is too good. But even as his fame grows, even as the crowds begin to grow larger, uh, there's something we notice in Jesus. Jesus prioritizes prayer. Jesus prioritized prayer. He always kept that at the forefront. You're going to hear me talk about this a lot as we go through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to point this out several different spaces because it keeps coming up that Jesus prioritized prayer. Verse 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places. He'd withdraw out into the wilderness and pray. Now, so often I hear from my own lips and from the lips of others, I'm too busy, I have too much to do, I don't really know where to begin all common things to say about our prayer life. But again, we see that Jesus prioritizes prayer. He begins with prayer. And if we're to follow him and to become more like him, then we need to do the same. We need to prioritize prayer in our life to begin praying as we can and starting there. This again, shameless plug. This is why I want you to come Wednesday so we can begin to practice this together. Join our prayer and worship night as we we step into taking and prioritizing a posture of prayer before God. So where do we take from this passage? Well, the first thing we see is that we're to embrace the mercy of God. We're to embrace the mercy of God. Where we start is like the leprous man. We acknowledge that we are unclean. We confess We confess where we've fallen short. We confess the wrongs in our life. We confess that we can't do this all on our own. We stop hiding and pretending. We stop recoiling and wondering if God would recoil from us. We confess. We come before him and say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Nothing else, no one else. Just Jesus. And Jesus alone can make us clean. See, that's where we need to start acknowledging our brokenness, acknowledging our need of him. But unlike the leprous man, we don't have to go run to a priest to go through a ceremony of sacrifice because when we trust in Jesus, we trust that we have been covered and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus who has died for us, declaring that all who are unclean are made clean in him. It's finished because he has done it on our behalf. And once we accept this, once we embrace the mercy and grace of God, once we say yes to Jesus, we are saved, we are redeemed, we are restored, and we are made new in Christ. You see, this is why Father Damien was able to move toward what others deemed as unclean. Because the life of Christ, the grace of Jesus, compelled him. Father Damien would go on to live amongst this leper community for 12 years, bringing the hope that he had found in Jesus to people who were seen as outside of hope. 
And what I love is that when he got there, there was very little infrastructures. I mean, people were just literally waiting to die. And so he started building homes, putting in plumbing, putting in gardens, bringing life to this place of, of death, restoring the humanity of those who were just buying time, feeling like they were forgotten by the rest of their people. And where did this come from in him? What motivated him in this? It came from an understanding of just what Jesus had done for him. See, Father Damien and all of his works and all of his proximity with people eventually would succumb to leprosy himself. It'd be the cause of his death. But in dying, he would show that he truly lived. Because for Father Damien, to live was to die, and to die was gain. And in a colony of death, he had brought the presence of heaven. And this is the call of all of us who have found life in Jesus. That once we embrace the mercy of God, like Jesus, we are called to extend the mercy of God. And what a joy to partner with God in what he's doing in our community. See, Jesus was willing to heal the man with leprosy. He was willing to extend his hand. The question I have is, are we? Are there people in our lives that are we, we are withholding from? That we shrink back from? That when given the opportunity, we ignore? Are there people that we walk by that we have deemed as unclean and less than and beyond hope? Are there people that we're just choosing not to see in our life? Is there someone that you are thinking of right now? And you're thinking, oh Lord, not that person. Don't bring this person to mind because I do not want to pursue them. When we are tempted to look beyond our fellow human being or to see them as less than human, my hope is that we would remember Jesus' words to his disciples. In John 17, verses 15 through 18, he says, I did not ask, and he's speaking to the Father, he's praying over them, he said, I did not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, so sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. Jesus commissioning the disciples, Jesus commissioning us, sending us into the world. We are not of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We have embraced the mercy of God, and now he sends us to extend the mercy of God. We have been made clean in him where once we were unclean. But how? Through the right steps? through trying really hard, through being really good? How did we become clean when we were once unclean? How did that happen? Well, lest we should forget how that happens, we read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the results of work, so that no one may boast. You have done nothing to earn this. Jesus has done everything on your behalf. So when we receive this gift, this gift of God, his mercy, his grace, his new life, we don't stand there going, aren't I awesome? I earned this. You didn't earn anything. He did everything for you. So why do we hold on to it though? It's like he doesn't have enough for everybody. 
He's given that gift that we can share it with everyone that we encounter. As God so loved us, may we love well. As God shows us mercy, may we show mercy well. As he was willing, may we be willing. This is the call. This is what we're sent with. And finally, because I just don't want to miss this, because I think it's, it's important that we embrace the mercy of God, that we extend the mercy of God. But in order to do this, we have to daily encounter the God of mercy. We have to sit with him. We have to be with him. We have to allow him to shape us, to speak over us, to speak to us, to speak through us. Just as Jesus prioritized prayer, may we, May we spend time encountering the God of mercy this week, this day, this moment. Seek him. Encounter the true and living God. Embrace the mercy of God. Extend the mercy of God. Encounter the God of mercy. May we follow in the footsteps of Jesus well spilling over what he has so lavishly spilled upon us in his love. You pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have made it possible for us to be clean. And Lord, even now as we, we say that, would you search our hearts for those areas that, that we have not given over to you, those areas that we have fallen short in those areas that we're embarrassed of, those areas that we don't want to give you access to. Would you remind us that just like when you extended your hand to the man with leprosy, that you extend your hand to us willingly and mercifully. So Lord, we confess our deep need of you, that we cannot do this on our own, And Lord, in the same way that you have transformed us, would we walk confidently in you? Would you give us eyes to see those around us, those that maybe we have looked past, those that we don't want to see, we don't want to deal with? Would you give us a heart that beats like yours? That we could extend the mercy that we have received. Lord, move in us as individuals, move in us as a community. That we would feel the weight of your holiness, of your otherness, of your goodness. We would recognize we can't bear that in our own strength, but Lord, we don't have to because you have sent Jesus. That in him we may have his righteousness be our righteousness. So Lord, in these moments, we thank you, we, we praise you, we, we open our hands, saying with what little we have, we, we give to you to do as you see fit. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.